0: hello everybody welcome back to my youtube channel upload past crossroads if you're watching from my podcast welcome back to that upload past crossroads again Uh, and again my name is sean christopher jenkins aka dr j and this right here on the right side of the screen is justin lee howell aka einstein Uh, you can find him at his youtube channel chaplain logs so you know what we're about to do today i promised you that we're going to be studying the whole book of nehemiah going through it verse by verse and we got a lot in store for you guys so there's so much to learn about with the book of nehemiah so before i go off and tell you everything you need to know about the book of nehemiah uh, here goes my social media pages make sure to like subscribe comment turn on your post notifications so you know anytime i upload another video on youtube or my podcast or Even when I make another post on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it, man. So I got bomb social media pages. And then make sure to go ahead and go to Einstein's uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Turn on post notifications anytime he upload another video. Like, comment, and share on all his videos. And then same thing with his Facebook page. You know, befriend him on there as well. All right, but let's let's go ahead and get to it. So guys, uh, since I've been uh, doing this YouTube thing, i've always done sunday school at my church so i changed up how we do sunday school at my dad's church uh scotch Chapel AME church in hermitage tennessee and we're going verse by verse going through chapter and chapter of the bible and one of the uh chapters that we're in right now is the book of nehemiah right and so this leads to what we're doing today there's so much that i didn't get to say in the sunday school lessons so if you want to see any of the sunday lessons i've done You can find out on my YouTube channel, Opal Past Crossroads, at this playlist. That's why you see that on the screen right now. And then the same thing with Nehemiah. So right now, me and Justin are focusing on Nehemiah chapter 1. So you're going to find all my sermons, my Bible studies, and future animations to see anything I've done on Nehemiah 1 in this playlist on my YouTube channel. All right, so I just wanted to give that little protocol. But let's go ahead and get to it, guys. So we're in Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I'm gonna go ahead and read the verses, and then I'm gonna give everybody a setting because when it comes to the old testament, essentially any to anytime you're in like the minor prophets or major prophet books, so anything later in the old testament, it's pretty much the same setting. And so every time you study one of those books, it's basically you just need to know the same background and the same context of where all the Israelites are finding themselves. Then you can understand the text, and then the text is even more richer, do you? All right. So Let's go ahead and get to the verses, right? So I'm going to read Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. But I'm going to focus on today is Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, all right? So let's go ahead and read it. Let me make it bigger. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeli. And it came to pass the Cheslu in the 20th year, as I was in Susha, the palace, that Hanani, and I, one of my brethren, came and he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem. Also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that thou sat down and, and wept, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thy ear now be attentive and thy eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thou servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thou servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dwelt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commanded, thou servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou's commandments, thou servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandment and do them, thou, though that they were, yeah, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are Thou servants and Thou people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by Thou strong hand. O Lord, I, I beseech Thee, let now Thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of Thou servants who desire to fear Thy name and prosper. I pray Thee, Thou servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. All right, so like I said, we're focusing on Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 4 today. So let's start with verse 1. So the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeli, and it came to pass in the month of Cheslu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, right? All right, so let me stop sharing my screen so I can see everybody on restraint. All right. Uh, so, in the Old Testament, guys, remember I said that it always has the same background, the same context. So, with any text in the, in the Old Testament, it pretty much starts here, right? So, here goes the book of Nehemiah. Here goes the setting for it, right? So, in the Old Testament, we see the Jewish nations were destroyed in, in the, to start off the book of Nehemiah, right? So, in 721 BC to 720 BC, Assyria took northern Israel, right? So, Israel was divided into two kingdoms because they wanted you know, more kings. They wanted to be separate from each other. They just wanted more power and all that stuff. It's for greediness, right? So they had two different kingdoms. So they had a northern kingdom, and then they had a southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom had a lot of kings. Both kingdoms had a lot of kings, but the northern kingdom had basically all bad kings that reigned in the northern kingdom, right? And then in the southern kingdom, they had some good kings along with some bad kings. So they didn't fall into captivity and they weren't, they didn't uh, go into exile as fast as the Northern Kingdom, but their time going to come, right? So in 721 BC to 720 BC, the Assyrians took the Northern Kingdom right here, you know, Israel, you know, the capital city of Samaria. So that's the Northern Kingdom. And then 130 years later in 587 BC or 580 BC, the Southern Israel became captives to Babylon, right? So that's important to remember to me and Justin did a video talking about king cyrus and the babylonians and persians and stuff like that so uh yeah so the southern israel became captives of babylon so the capital of the southern kingdom obviously is jerusalem right here right so judah is another name for the southern kingdom so the babylonians killed many people killed many people uh who are were, who were living in judah and king nebuchadnezzar of babylon took and burned all of israel right and so when the babylonians conquered Jerusalem they deported almost everyone from the city and the region and this was 70 years around 70 years before Nehemiah, right? So Jerusalem was something of a ghost town at that time You know with the potential to end up like many other ancient cities, you know completely forgotten just about but then like me and Justin Just did a video on uh, which I want to show you guys. We did a video talking about how God was gonna send a guy named King Cyrus from Persia and he was gonna, uh, he was gonna make, he was gonna, he's gonna save his God was gonna use King Cyrus and the Persians to save his people, the Israelites, from captivity and bring them back to the city, guys. So right, and that was around 539 BC when the king of Persia uh, conquered uh, the Babylon, right? And we in that video in Isaiah 45, we talked about how in the outer gates of Babylon were eight gates. And then in the inner city was 100 gates. So somehow, someway, King Cyrus took out the Babylonians, right? And so Justin, I've been talking forever, man. If you got anything, just let me know. All right. So, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, just a, and some other stuff you need to know too, like with Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, are sort of all tied in together, right? And so with Ezra, you know, after the Babylonian captivity, a remnant of the Jewish people, have returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Jerusalem and Ezra. And these returned exiles, you know, these returned Israelites have rebuilt the temple, right? But they were now in need of protection, right? So I want you guys to get that picture. So 70 years, around 70 years before Nehemiah, so Nehemiah is taking place in 444 BC, around there, right? So somewhere in that vicinity. So 70 years before Nehemiah, they actually rebuilt the temple you know, in uh, in Jerusalem, so in the southern kingdom, right? And 90 years before that, they actually returned back when King Cyrus took out the Babylonians. That's when they returned, so 90 years before Nehemiah. Now, after that, So they had the temple, but there was no protection, right? So the lack of fortified walls around the city left the people defenseless against enemies, right? So weather, wild animals, opposing people, and other opponents could easily enter and cause great trouble or affliction to the people who chose, the remnant that chose to go back to Jerusalem, right? So this is the setting. This is the context, right? And so uh, something else you should know in the book of Ezra was going to tie in with everything we're going through in the book of Nehemiah chapter one and two is uh, in Ezra chapter four, verses 11 to 23, we see that, you know, there's an attempt to rebuild the walls. And it had been a few years before uh, when they tried to rebuild the walls that it was stopped by their enemies. So people, long story short, went to the King of Xerxes. So it's the same king in Nehemiah's time period, right? In 444 BC, it's King of Xerxes. That's the king that is a cupbearer to. So this same king stopped the... uh Rebuilding the wall project. So he allowed the rebuilding the temple in the time of Ezra. But as soon as they started trying to rebuild the wall, he was like, no, because all the enemies conjured up and plotted and said, like these, these the pagan residents and the Samaritans and all those people, they complained to King Xerxes and said, you know, you need to issue your decree to stop this because the Israelites are just doing this to take you out. They're just doing this to uh, gain more power. So the Israelites are trouble, right? So he stopped the project. So they couldn't rebuild the walls. So then they had to live even longer in, uh, you know, unsafety and unprotection with no fortified walls and all that stuff. Well, wild beasts, you know, thieves and everybody could come in and take what they want, even from the temple. Right. So it's, that's the context. Right. So no one thought this obstacle could be overcome. Right. So the walls laid in ruins and the people were still vulnerable. And I just wanted to say all that, because like, that's so powerful to get like the context of where we're going at now in the book of Nehemiah. So, Justin, did you have anything else you wanted to say with that?
1: Uh, a lot of stuff. I, I'm glad you uh, dug so deeply into the history, because a lot of that wasn't things that I, I had known. A lot of it, what I want to dig into is like his compassion or his movement towards his people. Mm-hmm. But I do like how you're telling about the history of how they tried to rebuild the city of the Jerusalem, but it wasn't fortified. It was worn down by like weather and attacking people and animals. And I think that's almost symbolic too of like, um, they are remnants of God's people, but they didn't really take God back with them. Yeah. They tried to do things on their own. And that's what, it, that's what happened to them. Like it, maybe it started out well about 90 years ago when they started the rebuilt rebuilt process. But as we were talking about, um, uh, Cyrus the king like he was being led by God like we first and foremost we said he was being led by the hand of God and that's why he's victorious but the remnants weren't victorious in their rebuilding because they didn't bring God to their city they didn't trust God first and foremost but look at Nehemiah I'm not going to get too much detail and spoil it but like verses three and four like he's weeping he's fasting he's praying like before he does anything um, before he goes to the king with uh, his permi- for his permission to go help Jerusalem, before he even goes back to Jerusalem, before he starts making plans, like he goes to God, which is not something the Jewish people did, unfortunately. So I do like that. That's the context and the start of our story is we see one group of people try to do it their way without God, and that's what happened. But now we're going to look at Nehemiah's story and see what's it going to look like when this guy brings brings god to the picture
0: yeah yeah i can't wait man so much like with that like Mm -hmm. the difference when ezra went to jerusalem to rebuild the temple and then trying to rebuild the walls and the difference between him and nehemiah when nehemiah went like it was totally different right and but yeah so the book of nehemiah begins 15 years after the book of ezra ends right so this this wasn't long guys like King Xerxes, he ruled for a while, and so he ruled at the same time period as Ezra and as Nehemiah, which is powerful, because 15 years before Nehemiah, King Xerxes already said, no, we're not going to, no, no rebuilding the wall, stop that, you know, we're not going to do that for the Israelites, right? So, that's so powerful, right? And then almost 100 years, or 90 years, after the first captives came back to the promised land, so this is where Nehemiah begins, right? book of nehemiah and then some 150 years after the city of jerusalem was first destroyed and after this long time the walls of the city of jerusalem were still in rubble so all of jerusalem is in ruins all of jerusalem is in rubbles only thing that's there that's intact is the temple and then also the water gate when we get to nehemiah 3 we're going to read that the water gate was still intact which the word of god is water right like the the spirit is water right so nothing can dis- destroy the word of god uh, the word of god heaven and earth will pass away but my word shall never pass so the water gate right that's powerful man bars right and so last thing i want to say too is like uh after seventy seventy years of captivity in babylon they were the israelites were given the opportunity to return to their homeland you know the promised land when king again when uh king cyrus gave them that ability from persia right when he took out the babylonians so out of the two to three million jews that were deported from the land, only 50,000 decided to return to the promised land, which is approximately only 2% of the people. So it was a remnant, like, you know, <laughs> and then also, you know, they returned in the days of Ezra, you know, and they returned to rebuild the temple and and to lay a spiritual foundation for Israel once again. So all they did was rebuild the temple again, but there was way more work to be done. And this is the beginning of the book of nehemiah so let's go ahead and get to it man I'm, I'm tired of like that's a good enough setting i'll say the rest some other time i'm pretty sure so uh we'll go with nehemiah chapter one verse one right so i read that verse already but i'm gonna read it again because all that said and probably had everybody forget about it but here it is all right so from the words of nehemiah Nehemiah, the son of hecali and it came to pass in the month of cheslu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, right? So, Nehemiah, he could have started off bragging. And Justin mentioned this last time when it was me, Terry, and Justin on the video. Nehemiah, Nehemiah could have started off bragging and saying what his position was yeah. and his title is. like. But the first thing he said is his father's name. Like, <laughs> his father's name, right? And I'm not going to, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it, right? So, Nehemiah is not he's not forward and telling us of his high position his great position of his social status right and just the honor he has in his occupation because guys you gotta understand the israelites are slaves like at the end of the day like they're in captivity to other nations and they're scattered so some of them are in persia some of them are somewhere else but they're everywhere right and they're underneath pagans and governments that do not glorify God, do not care for God. As a matter of fact, they have many gods, right? So, <laughs> you know, we don't see to the end of the chapter that Nehemiah mentions that he's a cupbearer. You know, the first, but at first he only said, I was in Shushan the palace, which is significant. So one thing, one life application we could take from this is, you know, we we must learn to be humble and modest and slow to speak of our own advancements, our own achievements and successes because even Paul said it, Paul said that, you know, my achievements and everything I accomplish is just filthy rubbish, you know, who cares about it, you know, works won't save you, guys, like, so many people think that, you know, just because they got a high status, or they're a famous pastor, or something like that, or they sing great, and they're all known by the world, like, they're doing God's work, like, no, God cares about your heart, he cares about where you really are, like, they, and the only thing that can dictate that is your heart, your motives, and your intentions behind doing anything. And you see Nehemiah. He everywhere in Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah, you're gonna see Nehemiah's humility. But this is the first case. Like he didn't even this is the first thing he should have said, but he didn't say it right. And then something else you should know too. One of my main points is you know Nehemiah didn't fit the profile. You know for some for God to use someone uh, to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, because the walls and the gates are down. Nehemiah is not a carpenter he's not a construction worker he's not a builder of any kind matter of fact he ain't even a leader like I, I know cupbearers to an extent led in a way but he's not a leader to that extent like leading a whole nation to do a whole development project like that like come on and right. then also he didn't fit the profile because he lived 800 to a thousand miles away from jerusalem he like, the first thing he said was you know i was in the palace of Susha Shushan, the palace right so that's 800 to 1,000 miles. He got to travel to Jerusalem that far. Like, he, there's no car, no plane. So that means he really had to have the passion and the calling and just the will and determination to do this, right? Like, you don't just, if God calls you to something, you don't just do it. Like, it's going to take work, it's going to be a process, right? If you're not willing to go through the difficulties, the hurdles, and obstacles to do that, then apparently, you know, you don't really want it, right? And then also, Nehemiah wasn't from a renowned or respected or luxurious or prosperous or famous or decorated family, right? And he said that when he said, you know, his father's name, Hekeli. Like, who is Hekeli? Like, and what's funny is the name Hekelai means doubtful, right? That's what his name means. Because in Jewish time period, in ancient time period, Jewish names had meaning. So Jews are big on assigning names based on what people thought of a child's future would be like so, they're basically saying that Hekali, you know, his, his future is doubtful. You know, he's doubtful. Like, he's a nobody, right? So, so, Nehemiah mentioned his father's name in Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 10, right? So, two times. Yet, we still have no idea who he is at all, right? And I told you names are significant, right? So, it matter who your father was, too, in ancient time period, because we don't know who his father is right so he says his father's name for nothing really right because the israelites haven't had their own country or land for 150 to 140 years around there at this point so it didn't really matter who his father was in nehemiah's time period in 44 444 bc because his father didn't have any land he didn't have any standing so his father had nothing so that means nehemiah had nothing right so yeah nehemiah is the son of is the son of nobody from nowhere and so Nehemiah is essentially saying I'm a nobody Mm. and that, that goes to the Christian saying the Christian cliche I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody right and so the book of Nehemiah is telling us you know God can use nobodies right so the book of Nehemiah is where nobody does something unheard of right and it's also if you it's also telling us if you are nobody and you let God work, you can do miraculous things, too. Right. So this is where God begins. Right. Nehemiah didn't fit the profile of the leader. Nehemiah was a cupbearer king. He was eating the king's food and drinks. A nobody was eating the king's foods and drinks. Guys, he was living in luxury. Come on. And he was a slave, but he got it good. Right. So like, this is this was the person God chose to rebuild the walls around a city in 52 days right so this was the person who god chose to use to reunite the israelite people and repopulate God's city again nobody from nowhere so god chose nobody from nowhere who was a slave whose job was literally to make sure the king didn't die by dying himself right so this was nehemiah's job and some people are like man a cupbearer that ain't a good job Cupbearers barely died like that's a fun fact because in order to be a cupbearer you have to be liked by people like People like you, right? So why would they want to kill you and if they liked you? They wouldn't want to kill you because they know that if they killed you the king wouldn't eat your food anyway So like it it just wouldn't work, right? So if you're likable, they wouldn't poison your food because they didn't want anything to happen to you, right? So that's just a kink bears job you guys can I, I didn't really sound i didn't really articulate that too well but i think everybody got the gist right so most of the time when we look in the mirror some of us say you know god i don't know how you're gonna use this right a lot of people are doubtful as to how god can use them so you want to know why and how god can use you it's because god using you isn't dependent on you or what you can do or anything like that you know god uses us in spite of our weaknesses in spite of our inability so uh Yeah. So basically what I'm trying to say is, you know, in a Christian life, you're just going to see God work through you and in you and do the impossible all the time. Like, and if you're not experiencing that, you're not, you're not challenging yourself. You're not really uh, doing what God's calling you to do. Because if you are, then you're going to be living in ways that are just going, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to need strength and need uh, God to intervene for you to do the impossible in certain situations. Right. So. I hope that made sense, but yeah, I'll let you go ahead and go just i'll I'll say something more with that, but
1: yeah i I do like how just to add on how humble he is, yeah, like he I like how you mentioned he's like the son of nobody from nowhere, but like he's still showing like respect because that's what he feels like he's expected to do he he isn't just trying to identify himself as his as his own individual, like that's a very common thing for us to do nowadays is to lift, list off our credentials, tell people, like, what we're about. But no, he just, like, starts off saying, hey, I'm the son of um, Achillea. But I do like how he just mentions he's in the Citadel of Susa or just in Sushan. Um, and, like, that's not, like, that's actually, like, a pretty big place as well, though. I like how he just nonchalantly mentions that, but doesn't really elaborate until later by saying he's the cupbearer. Because man, that's like saying he's in like the Empire State Building or like somewhere big. But like, he doesn't like brag into that. He just uses that as a self introduction, like bare minimum information. Um, So he's not trying to boast about anything right now. He's really trying to make this about God and his people. So it just literally takes up one verse of who he is and what time then from there he's trying to he goes straight into his brother and uh what's kicking off the story i think that's like very important for his character because this even though the book's named after him this is not really just a book about nehemiah this is about um god's work that he was able to do through nehemiah and uh man this is just there's a lot to say about it in the next verses. I'm trying to limit myself to the first four verses right now, yeah. but I wait till we like get into the meat and potatoes of his prayer too. But because like the progression of that prayer is like very important as well. It just shows like a humbleness and a confession from his heart. He doesn't just go straight into asking God to do stuff for him. He's humbling himself. And I think the introduction to this book and the the next chapters that we're going, that Sean and I are going to look at Nehemiah, really set the tone for what it's going to be like. And I think that's very rare sometimes for any books of the Bible or for really like anything else that you read, because you you have when you read something you have to know like what are their credentials? Like who is this person to think that they can? Um, tell me what to do. But no, like Nehemiah is just straight to the point. And I like that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, like I keep on, anytime I say Shushan, which is the capital, right? That's mentioned in Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. Uh, that's right. It, they switch it. It's switched in scripture. So it's either Shusha or Shushan like it's two ways to to say it and it's two different ways to write it right so basically it's it's the same same thing right so I, if i switch it back and forth like that that's why so Susha or shushan whatever you want to call it is present day iran right and it's the capital of shushanna right so it's where after the capture of the babylonian empire a great palace was built by darius the pastis or something like that the ruins of which are still seen today, right? So it was the principal or the favorite providence or residence of the Persian court, alternating with Persepolis, uh, the oldest capital in Babylon. So basically Shusha, Shushan is the winter capital, right? And that's powerful that Nehemiah would even say, I was in the winter capital essentially. So this is during the winter time. So you one, one good reason that we get as to why nehemiah took so long to even talk to the king and everything is because he's not going to travel in the winter time right he's not going to travel when it's cold and people can die like no he's going to travel in the summertime and where it's cool and it's good weather and that one is snowing and blizzards and stuff like that and all that stuff so nehemiah lived in shushan or susa the capital city of the persians and he lived in the citadel which means the fortified palace of the persians right so why the way we're, tell, we're told and we know that Nehemiah is someone important living in the palace of the king of Persia, which is crazy. So he had it good, right? <laughs> He's living in the palace, man. So in November or December is the month of Cheslu. That's what he said in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, in the month of Cheslu. So this is around 44 B.C. So Nehemiah was serving as a cupbearer to the same Ares Xerxes at his winter capital in Susa when he had a life-changing conversation with his brother or brethren Han- Hanani and some other men who had just come from Jerusalem, right? And so that's another setting. And then something else you need to know too. I told you earlier that in the book of Ezra, our Xerxes was the same king who issued a decree to stop the project when the Ezra, as soon as Ezra tried to rebuild the walls of the uh, gates, the gates and the walls of Jerusalem, right? And uh, uh, Artis, King Artaxerxes stopped the project with the whole army, right? And it wasn't even that many Israelites trying to rebuild the wall. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, King Artaxerxes meant business by this. So, some other questions too, like just a little application. Like right? this is the whole book of Nehemiah, like the whole meat and what it's trying to go at, right? So, one question I got for you guys is: How would you feel if your family was in a dangerous place and you were too far away to help them, right? So imagine what it was like for Nehemiah. His family was in a city without any protection. Their enemies could easily kill them if they tried, right? So how would you feel if your family and friends were in the same situation? Your brethren, your nation, right? And this is the context here. Like all the Israelites are scattered, right? And so, yeah, that's, that's one context. Another context is uh and i'll use an analogy i used it earlier with when we did the little summary of the book of me me you and terry um one question i asked was how do you feel when you see broken things right so when you see hurting people when you see broken toys when you see a house destroyed by a storm or a damaged car or somewhere someone in a grave or just divorced so you see death or something like that so how do you feel when you see these broken things so most likely it doesn't bother you until it until it affects you right until is something you care about, right? So if these were pictures of broken things that you valued most, how would you feel, right? It would change. But if it's just a broken thing, it doesn't mean anything to you, right? So obviously this means something to Nehemiah, right? So Nehemiah was burdened for Jerusalem being in ruins, right, that's one. Two, Nehemiah identified with the brokenness that surrounded those in Jerusalem. He identified with it, even though he was living in luxury and in a palace, right? And he was a cupbearer to the king. So he had a great job, right? <laughs> Most likely he's not going to die, right? Even if people think he, he will, right? And we should identify the brokenness that surround... So one of like application is, you know, obviously we should identify uh, with the brokenness that surround others. And when we see brokenness in the lives of other people, it should break our hearts and cause us to pursue God's heart and to seek out how he can use us to help rebuild and encourage... Uh, the brokenhearted right so so the context of this text is Nehemiah identify with the lowly so even though Nehemiah was a great man and he was rising higher and higher in position he still he still did not think it was beneath him to notice be aware of to be sympathetic or empathize with his brethren who were low and despised right and nor was he ashamed to own his relation to them and concern for them so are you the same way right and so that's the context like where the book of nehemiah chapter one starts just with verse one right like, <laughs> so obviously justin do you have anything else man because i'm about to go in like i'm ready to just you yeah, can yeah. you can go to verse two three and four if you want man because we're going to be going through do it like crazy
1: yeah yeah and i've been alluding to like his prayers in verses uh five down as well but yeah mm-hmm. i think um uh, just the compassion he had for it as well like when we uh just his reaction in verse four when we get there it's just it's interesting because like um it makes me think of like all the the marriage books and some of the conferences that yeah and i've been like listening into or reading together it's been interesting because like um sometimes as uh as people We have like a threshold of like how much compassion or how much we can like listen to people's problems before we're like man you just need to like um i don't don't know we'll give like such superficial advice of you got to keep going or you got to keep your head up or man you just got to be strong and pray or believe in god and like those are nice words but like sometimes it just helps to like uh really listen to people's problems and like really connect to them instead of delivering shallow platitudes and i feel like that's what nehemiah was doing because he and he just rushes through his own introduction and gets straight to the point of like he was weeping and praying for uh, his people like he wasn't trying to tell them man they should have listened to god like kind of like what i was doing earlier uh, which they should have by the way mm-hmm. but he was like he had a compassion for them just like jesus had a compassion for um the people who came to him and uh like he like he was like he didn't want to turn them away he had, he, he had every right to like get some rest or like go somewhere else but they came to him and he had compassion on. them. for nehemiah like they didn't even come to him he just heard of their plight and had a instant connection with them. And that's something I think we need to do a lot more nowadays because man, I know I'm, I like to fix problems. Like if my wife tells me that something's wrong, I'll like say, okay, well, we can do this or this or this, but that's not what she's looking for. She's just wanting someone to listen to her before we dig into it. And I like, that's what DMI is doing instead of being critical he's like listening to their problems first Yeah. and in like verse one, we, we know who Nehemiah is. Then we get that out of the way and we go straight into, okay, what, what's up with the Jewish people right now? I so, mean, I, the compassion he has for without going too deep into like his prayer right now, man, I can't wait till the Bible verse when we do his prayer though, Me too.
0: but, yeah. but okay.
1: Okay. compassion as I think everyone can learn off of it. Right.
0: I guess so, that's why I like a lesson like this. This is why, guys, you got to study the Old Testament, man, because like there's so much you can pull out from it. that You can't it's hard to like have an outline and package it right because you're just going to be going everywhere because this like this is a good example. This text, like it's just so much you can pull out of it in so many yeah. directions. It's hitting every subject matter you'll ever encounter in life. Like Book of Nehemiah is not just a book about leadership or how to lead. Like it's not just a book about not living for yourself, right? Or not just talking about it, not just praying about it. You actually do something. Like you know, you you uh, faith without works is dead. Like it's about being a doer to word, not just a hero. Only. Like there's so many stuff to pull out from it, especially with just Nehemiah chapter one, and like basically like this really pertains to Nehemiah chapter two. But one of my sermon ideas is called "Send Me," right? And like so often we too see things that need to be done right so but we have an attitude and our attitude is you know send someone else right when we see a need and we see that something needs to be done especially something big like this is something big like it'd be different if this only happened for two or three years no this is an issue what Nehemiah is concerned about what burdens is burning his heart is something that has existed for a long time like the israelites have been in captivity they're scattered and they're uh, they've been away from their city for 150 years, but it's actually a remnant was back there for 90 years. And Nehemiah asked, like, what's going on with them? Right? <laughs> it's been 90 years, so I know the temple was built 70 years before me. Okay, so y'all built the temple. Okay, what about the walls? What about the, the 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 rubble and the gates? Like, how's that? Oh, they're in ruins, man. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's still bad. Like Deeds could come in. Bad weather could come in. They have no protection, right? Oh, man. And what does Nehemiah say to the king? Well, eventually, we're going to see that he says to the king, send me, right? He's not saying send someone else. You know, somebody else will take care of that. He doesn't say like uh, pious uh, Christian cliches like Justin was saying, like, you know, God be with you. God bless you. No, like he wants to act. He wants to do something about it, right? So it it, sh- it wasn't just something he talked about. He acted on it as well. And that's what we should be doing in a Christian life. So that's the application. Just from the beginning with the Book of Nehemiah, man. Like, uh, something else I want to say too, you know, life's bigger than just you, right? So many people live in their own little bubble, their own little world, their own, you know, they just see things from their, you know, from what they want to see, it, right? Instead of like the actual reality for everybody together, right? And that that's, that's on so many levels, right? Like, you can't just say, you know, justice for black people. Black people ain't the only people suffering, right? Like, everybody suffers, right? So it's okay to focus on one one thing, you know? Like, I don't even say, oh, let's go Blue Lives Matter because cops die too, right? But a lot of people, like, you know, forget about that. So some people are right about a lot of issues, but you can't just focus on one. You got to see things from a big perspective. And this is what Nehemiah is do, doing right here. Like, he's living in a palace. He got it good. If you got it good, that's great. But what about other people? What are you going to do for them? Especially if you have the resources and the power and just the whole government behind you to back you, like Nehemiah. Like, come on, like Nehemiah's bad, man. So Martin Luther King said, you know, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others, right? So we should be living a, a selfless life. So the reason why you feel as if you have no purpose or no meaning in life, you're not living right. As simple as that it's because you only look for yourself you know you can't teach somebody calling you can't, you can't teach somebody purpose it's given by god right so if you're if you are confused about what your purpose is your calling and stuff it's what you're most passionate about it's what grinds your gear like peter said on family guy right it, it was really urged you that you wants to change and you you can't stand that is happening and that's a lot of stuff in life you can't be you're not called to do everything right In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is calling Nehemiah to a certain thing. Because you know he's called to do it. Why? Because he weeped and he mourned for a long time. This ain't something that just went away. So if it just goes away, it's something you're mourning about, you're weeping about, and it just goes away quickly, obviously you're not called for it. That's not your purpose. But if it's something that always is there, and it's a drive, like no matter what happens in life, you're always thinking about that. You want something to happen. And only you are that passionate about it. that's how you know you called to do it, man. So if the concern is missing, then the calling is missing, right? So this is the application. You guys see where we're going at? So the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That's the start of the book of Nehemiah, man. Like uh Nehemiah chapter two, I mean verse I mean Nehemiah chapter one, verse two. So we haven't read it yet, but it the the last part of that verse said, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity. Concerned in Jerusalem, like you got to understand, Nehemiah's body where he was was in Persia, but his heart and his interest was in Jerusalem, which was eight hundred to a thousand miles away from him. So he wanted to know from those returning how the people in the city were doing. Right? He he has no business, or right? he got a good. Why why even have a concern like that? Right? Why even be discouraged? You already know it's not going to be good, but he had to ask, right? You know, so, and that goes back to send me, right? God is calling y'all, a lot of people, to do certain things. And he's calling you to a purpose and a calling that's hard, that's impossible. Like, it's been like this for ages. It could be the school system, it could be the corruption with the law, it could be it's a lot of stuff, guys. Come on, let's stop playing. Like, is this world perfect? No. Like, God is, is he glorified area every, every single area of life? No. So, like, Guys, come on! Are you a self-centered person? Do you only live and care about yourself? So you might think that a prominent man like Nehemiah had more important things to think about than a distant city he had never been to. Which is another thing to uh, say. Nehemiah never been to Jerusalem. He's been in Persia all his life. Like, why does he have a concern for the people of God in Jerusalem? Like, you know. And that's powerful, guys. Do you have a concern for other people other than your race, like for other people other than uh, that are struggling and don't have it as good good as you? Like if you don't have a heart like that, that says a lot about you. Like you don't have God's heart. Does this guy have a concern for people like that? Come on. This is Nehemiah, man. And the people, he, he was a stranger to these people as well too. So that's something else. So uh, yeah, man. So life is worthless if you're living just for yourself. Yeah, it's just so much I want to say about that. But Justin, you got anything else, man?
1: Yeah, what you said about the way to find yourself, man. What you said just really clicked with me. The way to find yourself is to put yourself in the needs of others. I think that's uh, so true because, like, that's that's something. Uh, I wish Terry was on here tonight because he was the one who like really helped me focus in on that concept as well. Because when we're, when we're focused on, like, what we want or, like, our needs or, like, we were saying, like, that's probably, like, what's what, how anxiety is stemmed from is because we're too worried about, like, what our future is going to involve. Like, that takes us away from God or away from other people. But, like, uh, when we were doing, like, a little premarital counseling, we were saying, like, if we're focused on our spouse, if we're not so focused on um ourselves that puts us in the mindset of god because god is constantly looking out for our well-being or trying to deliver us or trying to uplift us uh constantly i think like when we focus or help other people like that allows us to really hone in on like what god wants for us to be creatures that want to do good deeds was that a uh, second corinthians 5 17 i think i hope that's right uh for we are god's creations created in christ jesus to do good works like we were prepared in advance to do that stuff like that's why it feels good to do good for other people um and nehemiah like embodies that as well because like he like he's able to bring himself closer to god because he's concentrating on other people as well so i i what you said, man, just really clicks, because I think that is powerful stuff. We To find ourselves, we have to focus on the needs of others, for sure.
0: Man, like, uh, let me show everybody a picture. If you need a visual, here you go. Like this, I saw this picture on Instagram the other day. Can you see my screen, Justin?
1: Yeah, I see it. All
0: right, so it was, you got two ladders you can climb in life. Like, everybody's trying to succeed. They're trying to get, uh, you know, fight for success, fame, so be a celebrity. I don't know what you're trying to fight for, but have sex with all the women, all the men in the world, whatever you try to fight for in life, right? So you you can live life in two ways, in two ways On You can live for yourself, which is, you know, living for yourself and climbing that ladder to whatever achievements you're trying to obtain in this life, right? Or you can live a life serving others, right? Loving your neighbor, serving others. Like, and me and Justin talked about that with the story of Lazarus, the rich man, and whoever was uh, a poor man that was so poor that he had sores and bruises and just uh, flesh wounds that dogs would eat. Like, it was a poor person on his porch that he could have gave food to, or this rich man he could have gave food to, he could have helped. But instead, he just passed him every single day. And then, long story short, they both died. Lazarus in heaven, and he got everything. Whoever the poor man was, I don't know his name, but the poor man's in heaven. He got everything in the world. He got all his needs are being met, unlike on in this world. But then the person who's in hell is the rich man who didn't have any concern for his neighbor, right? And next to the scripture verses, Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 to 26, you know, Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what will it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall it a man give in exchange for his soul? So the Holy Spirit changes which ladder you climb. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second was like unto it, Uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the laws and prophets. So you do these two commandments, you hang all the laws and prophets. So if you don't love your neighbor, you're not living in the way that God called you to live. Because the way you treat others, the way you care for others, the concern you have for others, show if you have God's heart in you. If you don't have any concern, that means you don't have God in you. If you don't have any love for your neighbor, that means you don't have God in you. So somebody walk just like you, talk just like you, like looks like you or don't look like you, but they're human. They have a penis. They have a vagina. Like they're human. Like so, obviously they're just like you, no matter what they look like. So how can you not care or have any concern that concerns them? Like you know, we should be empathetic and sympathetic to that. And Nehemiah is showing that, right? Like. On so many levels, man, like one point I, d- I didn't get to say was, you know, Nehemiah's heart was after the things of God and how was his heart after the things of God? His heart wasn't on himself. It was for others. So this is the Holy Spirit changes which ladder you climb. So which ladder are you climbing? That's basically what I'm asking, which is another scripture verse like uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 11, verse 24 to 25 is one of my favorite scripture verses, right? It says a generous person will prosper. So somebody who gives freely, gains even more right but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed right but if somebody withholds unduly you know poverty comes upon them right so guys which person are you are you a generous person because you're a generous person you'll prosper you're whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed but if you are living for yourself and just living to obtain stuff right Man, come on, you're gonna go you're gonna end up in poverty because you're not storing up treasures in heaven, right? You're not doing what matters the most in life. You're seeking temporary pleasures that will never satisfy you. They're broken cisterns. This is the Bible, man. So come on, it's so on so many levels, man. Like, so I'm just gonna say other stuff too, man. So verse one and two also talks about like God, God has a purpose, right? And God uses you where he places you and God uses your experiences, right? And this is Nehemiah, right? So Nehemiah shows us that we are all called in exact places that God wants us to be, right? So God's about to use this cupbearer, right? Nehemiah was a cupbearer and God would use his position to enable him and help him to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. I don't even think Ezra could do this because he didn't have the same resources as Nehemiah which you kind of said earlier, Justin, like, I'm not going to read my notes. I just know that Ezra, when the king asked him, king of Xerxes, he asked him, what do you need? If you're trying to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, you're trying to do all this work for God in Jerusalem. Like, what do you need? Ezra was like, man, I got God. I don't need nothing but God. Like, And so that's what he got, right? And so because he said that when the forces came and made, and made lies about the Israelites, Saying that they're only trying to rebuild the walls because they want to go to war against the Persians, they he couldn't the, the king could only believe the lies. He couldn't believe Ezra and what they had going on because they were making too much progress. But Nehemiah, when he went to the king, he asked for a letter. He's gonna ask for a letter from the king, right? So if any of the haters say, "Man, the king said you can't rebuild that. You're you're going against the king. Man, you're only trying to go make, go to war against the Persians," they couldn't say nothing like that because Nehemiah literally had a letter from the king saying we built the walls in the gates in this time frame and come back, right? So that's not even the case with him. And I was just with that. Nehemiah also asked for timber, right? He asked for wood and stuff for the gates, you know, and and probably for the walls. So he was asking for certain things. He utilized his resources. So Nehemiah had an advantage. He knew the king personally too. Ezra didn't know the king. So on so many levels, it was just different how he could talk to the king, interact with the king, because something else too. Fun fact, a cupbearer was always with the king. However, everybody had their time with the king. We learned that in the book of Esther. Like a king, you can only you can't just show yourself to the king. Like, no, everybody has a schedule and has a plan, and you can only be with the king anytime the king wanted to be with you. And he set a time to be with you. So they had multiple cupbearers, so that means Nehemiah wasn't always with the king, right? But at a certain time, he was with the king, right? So, But he was close to the king because he was a cupbearer and had to eat and drink everything before the king ate and drank everything before he did, right? So you guys get what I'm saying, man. So believers are God's workmanship created for good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the class you are in, the family you are in, the sports team you are on, is exactly where God has placed you for and has enabled you to serve Him at and do the work He has created you for. So God uses everything, He doesn't waste anything, right? So Nehemiah could have easily been left out of the Bible if he just would have lived selfishly, right? If he just would have stayed in his little status quo, little bubble, his little own reality. But he didn't, man. He only cared for a living. He he didn't he didn't care for living comfortably he didn't choose to stay in his comfort zone. And this is what God is calling us to just from the start of the book of Nehemiah, man. Rebuilding happens. One of my main points, guys, I got a lot of points. But one of my biggest points is just talking about how can we rebuild the walls in our lives? How can we rebuild and restore the brokenness and the ruins that we're facing in our lives? Because that's what God wants us to do. And this is the book of Nehemiah right here. How do we do it? Rebuilding happens when we grieve over the status quo. Nehemiah, we're going to see in verse three and four and those next few verses in Nehemiah chapter one, we're going to see that he grieved over what was happening to God's people, to God's city, to God's things like that is so powerful. And so for many of us. we're comfortable with the status quo. We're comfortable with injustices that are going on. Like we're comfortable with the brokenness in this world. We're comfortable with just people being hurt and dying in horrific ways. We're just comfortable with it. It's it's, it's life, you know? No, it's not. Like (laughs) we should want better. We should fight for more and better. Guys, we should never be complacent Christians, which is what Terry said. We should never be compromisers and settling for less than God's best. Like this is the start of the book of Nehemiah, right? This is the context, right? And this is why I want to just focus on verse one like that. I want to pull out everything before we go everywhere because it's going to do that's what every verse just about. So, life application verses uh, questions I got for everybody. So, what do you want to happen in your life to be rebuilt? What do you want to go back to normal? And what do you want to go back better? than it ever than normal ever was than it ever was before. Right. What do you want to be rebuilt again? Right. And what do you want uh, with your relationship with God? You know, what is your relationship with God? Is it that you want to, yeah. What, what in your relationship with God is it that you want to be rebuilt, renewed or revitalized? Right. And what about in your family, in your churches, in the Christian church in the churches in the Christian's influence in the whole entire world? Like, what do you, what do you want to happen? Right. Because these are the passions and the drives that God gives to everybody. It's all different and it all needs to be done. So what are you doing to do it, right? And then what about with the Christian witness and how we uh, radiate in this world? What would you like to see be rebuilt? What would you like to see happen? Guys, this is the context of the book of Nehemiah, just to start off, right? So uh, the Bible is clear that you have been given a spiritual gift to use in the service for the Lord, right? And this is talking about, being a good steward of the grace that God has given you, right? And that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says each of you should use whatever gifts, right? Whatever resources, whatever talents, whatever that is, right? That you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms, right? So it's a great blessing when you see the Almighty God, creator of the heaven and earth, use you in some capacity to serve the Lord. So a lot of people are all talk but no action. A lot of people, uh, man, they just say, you know, God. When somebody asks for prayer, everybody asks for prayer. But then, like, you know, a lot of times when somebody asks for prayer, they just be like, "Yeah, I got you. I'll pray for you. I pray for yeah. you." But they don't, they don't pray for them on the spot. Like they forget about them, right? But Nehemiah is not like that. He's not that type of person, right? So uh, there's much more to serving the Lord than just talking about. It. They're just praying about it. Like a lot of Christians are just stay in the praying about a stage. And the book of Nehemiah. And especially the first two chapters talking about how you don't just pray about it. You got to act. You got to back up your words, right? With action. That's the Christian mind. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. So God wants to use each one of us, but he also wants to develop us into people who are more usable to him. You want to be used by God, you got to be willing to be used, right? And taken advantage of, right? Even when you do the right thing. Right. So, yeah, it's so much with the book of the mind, man. So last question I got for you guys is, you know, there are things that are breaking your heart about the church, you know, about this world, about the the, the home, just the way the home is now. You know, I don't even want to say Christian homes. I just want to say in the homes, like homes look differently than what God originally intended. Right. You know, about prisons, about the school system, about politics, whatever it is. Right. You know, but what are you doing about it? are you doing something about it? A lot of people just got anger and got burdens and burdens, and, and they don't do anything about it. They got, they got passions, but they don't do anything about it. So, you know, the things that are breaking your hearts, you know, but you're not doing anything about it, right? So, apparently, you don't care if you're not doing anything. That's the whole point of the book of Nehemiah as well. But, Justin, I'll let you go ahead, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. A big part of it is we have to be the change that we want to see in the world i think you're right like it is so easy to be complacent or like comfortable where we're at I, i want to say we already talked about this but i can't remember but paul talks about um paul talks about being content with life which is which is something that we need to strive for because sometimes we can be like greedy or like dissatisfied with life, but we have to appreciate the things God has given us. Contentness is very different from complacent. And uh, complacence is like, you're not doing anything, you're too lazy about it. Content means you're happy with what you're at, but you don't mind like striving for something more. Um, And that's what Nehemiah is doing as well that we need to learn is like we, if we're dissatisfied with something, uh, we need to go to God about that, and we need to uh, use the power or use the spirit that God has given us to fix that ourselves. We can't be lazy about it. I know there's a as a lot of people, there's a lot of lessons, of course. A lot of people say, like, we try to, and actually we talked about this earlier this week in another live stream, um, about that quote that Sean had. Like, it's, like, a lot of times we think we try to do things ourselves under our own power. We try to think that we know best. And I I had mentioned that earlier when Sean mentioned Sean brought that quote to us because it was a very powerful quote in which we can't give up. Like God has a plan for us. We just have to keep at it. But we have to be aware that, um, sometimes we try to do things, um, that's outside of God's will are things that we think are better. This, what I'm about to say is almost on the other side of the spectrum though. Like a lot of times people will wait to listen to God and not do anything and miss the opportunities he has for us. Like we do need to put ourselves out there. We do need to find out what God wants to do for, do in our lives. But at the same time, we need to like put ourselves in positions where we can do God's work, where we can push his kingdom. And like Nehemiah's no pushover. Like he's done, he's gotten himself into a pretty good uh, place in society. And he's also wanting to help the Jerusalem people out. Like he is going after a prayer with God and some fasting. He is going to the source of the problem and going to try to fix that. And I think that's really important that there's a good balance between waiting on God's work uh versus going out ourselves and putting ourselves in the opportunity to live out god's
0: work right yeah like man i was gonna do verse two but you know i just i think we're good to end the video unless you want to do another video on focus on verse two so we just go to verse three and four and five and right. six next time but last to end the lesson i want to talk about how you know, God can use anybody, man. Like, a lot of people think pastors are so grand and so great, so priests, prophets, and stuff like that. Like, we're not that, you know. They, they, they rank, you know, everything. They rank everybody. Like, they think some people are better than others, and God can use some people more than others and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you, man, God can use anybody, right? Mm-hmm. We literally just talked about with Nehemiah, the first verse, man, the son of Hekelah, right? Who's Hekelah? Nobody knows who Echolai is, which means nobody knows who Nehemiah is, right? Even though he's now at a renowned position, right? He's at a respected position. He's a cupbear, right? Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, he's not a priest. So why is he, can he be used by God? We talked about also, like, in the video before, It's me, Justin Terry. We talked about how he's not even a, he's not technically a minor prophet or a major prophet like he's not even listed as yeah. that and I, that surprises me how you know scholars and theologians people like that they didn't even put him in that on that level and it's because he's a lay person he's not even a priest he's not a preacher right he's a lay person and in a church turn i mean he's basically a steward a deacon just somebody that's not a pastor but you know they, they they're a child of god you know they they, they uh, serve in their home. They love their wives. They they uh, Or if they're a woman, then they love their husbands, right? So, but you get what you guys know what I'm saying. They're faithful stewards of God and in, in every all the resources that God's given them. But so, like, God can use a lay person to do something grand, basically. Like, the thing that Nehemiah is about to do, that God's about to use him to do, is to help God's people rebuild the walls that have not been rebuilt for 150 years, it's been a problem for 150 years. Now, I told you before that they were there in Jerusalem, they went back The remnant, went back two percent, went back 90 years before Nehemiah, and then 70 years before that, they made the temple, but yet they were still in ruins. The walls were still not rebuilt, the gates were still not rebuilt. And, and Nehemiah was like, What are you kidding me? He had a passion for. For glorifying God. He was like, God's city can't be like this. God's people can't live like this. And ruins, some people were complacent and okay with the status quo. But Nehemiah wasn't, a lay person. So guys, no matter what what the application is, no matter what your position is in life, no matter how great or how little you think you are, I don't care what any about anything like that, right? You don't have to be a pastor and don't forget to use you to do great things, right? If Nehemiah would have never acted on his faith, and acted on God's word that God has placed in his heart by, you know, accepting the burden that he had and actually doing something about it, then the people would still have been in ruins. Jesus probably would never have been born in Jerusalem, like, because, oh, come on, he was over there. Like, you know, but God's people would never went back. Like, come on, like a lot of stuff would never happen in the Bible if Nehemiah would not have obeyed God. You guys know what I'm saying? So God can use even a lay person. So God can use even you. Like even you, even if you feel like a nobody, you're not a nobody to God. God got a lot of people. And we're all scattered. I, I, that's another application, guys. The Israelites were scattered throughout the land, everywhere, in Persia, in the Babylon's. Like they were just everywhere. They were not in Jerusalem. A remnant was in Jerusalem, and somehow, some way, God was going to use one man to bring everybody back. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people. It was it's up to them they want to come back, right? So if you guys get what I'm saying, man. God can use you to rebuild the walls, right? There's walls that need to be rebuilt in life, man. There's there's this there's, there's works and stuff that God wants to happen, but you gotta be willing to say yes, to send me, Lord, to act on your faith, right? No matter what obstacles you're gonna face. Nehemiah's faced a lot of obstacles and faced a lot of hurdles in doing this. So yeah, that's the book of Nehemiah, man. Like that's we just went to verse one, guys, but we really hit verse one through four. So Justin, do you have anything else, man?
1: <laughs> no, I feel like we laid down the foundation really well. I'm just excited to get to his prayer. But yeah, I feel like we've really dug into the character of who Nehemiah is. He's someone who's not concentrated on himself. He's humble and he's putting God and his people first. So I can't wait to like start on his journey. Just really dig into that.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry we didn't get the to verse too, man. If you want, we can do it right now. But guys, that's the video. Right? So I hope you guys enjoyed it. We really just hit Nehemiah 1 verse 1. All right? Right. We kind of hit a lot of Nehemiah, just let you know the first two chapters. So I pray you guys enjoyed the video. You know the routine, guys. So I got amazing social media platforms and pages. So go to my social media pages, please. And guys, please like this video, comment, share, and turn on a post notification so you know anytime we upload another video to my YouTube channel. Upload past Crossroads. Uh yeah, I need to get off that video real, real quick. My YouTube channel, up past Crossroads. It's got amazing videos on there. So yeah, just check out all of them, man. Please share my videos and everything. Watch all of them all the way through, please. Uh, you really help my algorithm and help promote my page. Right. And so, like I said before, too, uh, you'll find more sermons and bible studies and stuff on the my chapter one that me, Justin, and Terry have done. And so just go to that playlist as well. And then also. Make sure to show Justin Love on his YouTube channel, Chaplain Logs, Chaplain's Logs, right? Make sure to turn on the post notifications so you know when he uploads another video. Like all his videos, comment, all that stuff. And then his Facebook page, Justin Lee Howard. You can be putting him on there. But, guys, thanks for tuning in. I pray you guys enjoyed the video. We got a lot more coming for you guys, Lord willing. So, deuces, all right? Have a good weekend.